Welcome to the What She Said podcast. My name is Candace Sampson. I am currently in the middle of divorce proceedings, working towards my psychology degree, dating for the first time in 20 years, raising three teenage girls, a senior dog, and two guinea pigs. And in the middle of all this, I thought it would be a good time to buy the What She Said media property. What could possibly go wrong? I've been in the trenches with women across Canada for over a decade now, oversharing on the Yummy Mummy Club, Life in Pleasantville, and on all my social media pages, and I totally do it for the gram. And now I'm coming to you on the radio at 105.9 The Region and on this podcast. Apparently, I have a lot to say. So let's get rolling. I've spent the last 10 years writing, and I put that in air quotes, for blogs and a few print publications. And in that time, I've had a couple of people over the years suggest I should write a book. And I can tell you that's likely never going to happen. It's mostly because I'm acutely aware of the commitment it takes to be a full-time writer, and even more aware of what it means to be able to make a living at it. Still, it's a dream that many talk about pursuing. Being a writer is a very romanticized occupation. So I wanted to get some insights and truths into what it takes to actively establish a career as a writer. So I reached out to Karma Brown. I knew Karma from the online world before she became an international bestseller and have watched her turn out number one bestsellers one after the other like Come Away From Me, The Choices We Make, and Recipe for a Perfect Wife. Karma is highly approachable and the perfect person to get the lowdown on writing as a career when you're ready to make the leap. So meet Karma Brown. Hi, Karma. Thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you for having me. I'm really excited to talk to you because I think, I feel like I have heard probably a million times from people, I'm going to write a book someday. Someday I'm going to write a book. And it's one of those things I think we all hold up as this ideal thing we would love to do, but never actually pursue. And you are somebody I have witnessed do this uh, from the moment you said you were going to do it, now follow through to a best-selling author. Uh, So I just want to start at the beginning. What sort of prompted you to chase this dream? Well, I actually never wanted to be a writer. So this is what I tell people because that's now my career. And I wanted to be a broadcast journalist. So I was in journalism school and I did this as a post-grad and I thought, well, I'll just be the Katie Couric of the North and this is my future. And I, and people assumed I wanted to write and I never did. So even as a kid, I never wanted to be a writer. So I um, then was diagnosed with cancer at 30, which was like right as I was finishing journalism school. And I realized that going out to be a broadcast journalist in that environment, like while I was, you know, having all of these, the treatments and everything else, I just couldn't do it. And I wanted to be with my family. So I thought, okay, well, what else can I do? You know, what else am I trained to do? And I thought about writing. And I went into magazine and that was my first foray into writing. So it was nonfiction. Um, I did a lot of parenting niche, like mummy. Right, and I think that's where you originally came to sort of in my sphere of things was through that that space. Yeah, I was writing because I had a a brand new daughter and 
I was like so many new moms completely like my feet just, you know, flipped up over. I had no idea what I was doing. And I really found that niche was perfect for me at that time. And I got to flex my muscles with my writing. And, you know, I tell people all the time, like my journalism training really did help me because one, you're forced to work on deadline which is very important with a book, and I'll talk about that a little more in a second why, um, but you also need to understand how a story is crafted, that, you know, this beginning, middle, and end piece about how you write a story. And a novel's no different, it's just much longer. So I was doing magazine work, and then I thought, well, maybe I'll try a novel. Like, I've been a lifelong reader, love books. What could be so hard about, you know, <laughs> writing a fiction novel um, and it turns out it's so totally different and I didn't know what I was doing so I started to learn and I read Stephen King's On Writing that was my first uh, book that I really read that was a craft book about how to do this and he taught me how to write dialogue which you don't appreciate is such an important part of novel writing and I just thought I'll keep going and see if I can get this first book done. I had an idea and I just worked and it was terrible. My first book was really, really quite terrible. What was uh, your first book? Well, well, I, it's in a shelf, like gathering. Oh. <laughs> it was my practice book. Uh, okay. Then I wrote another practice book and that one did get me my agent and, um, but never published. So my third book was actually my debut come away with me. Right which was published in 2015. So, I mean, sometimes I can't believe it's only really been five years or six years now that I've been doing this, but, you know, I fell into it. It was just, I have friends who are authors who have always wanted to write a book. That was not me. I feel like I just stepped backwards into it and figured it out. <laughs> and right, and I, but I love that you just said that you have two books that are unpublished, yes. that you wrote practice books, because this really lays the groundwork for the fact that you didn't just fall into this. It didn't just happen. There was practice uh, and, and dedication to developing your craft to continue with this. Yes. I mean, so much practice. Right. I, I have been through many laptops. I'm looking at my keyboard right now and none of the keys, you can't, no one else can use it because the keys have all been scratched off. And so I basically go through a laptop keyboard like every two years because I'm constantly writing and constantly working on the craft. And so that remains true, despite the fact that I have five published books now, um, working on like another three as we speak. So it's just, um, it requires a lot of dedication to the goal. And so, you know, I had like skydive on my bucket list of things I wanted to do. And I, I feel like writing a novel is like that. People think it's sexy and cool and adventurous and I never want to go skydiving because I understand <laughs> that it's not really the thing that I want to do as much as I love the idea of saying I did it and when people really want to write a novel or a book like even if it's nonfiction, um, I usually say to them like this is years years mm -hmm. of work and sometimes all those years mean that there's nothing at the end except a book that you shove in a drawer and you feel good about the practice it brought you. It just, it takes a long time. And um, the deadlines are tough because, you know, like you've written lots of stuff too. You have a thousand word piece due. 
in maybe what a couple weeks three weeks mm -hmm. to, to get it in mm -hmm. and you can set up your life to work within that three-week period so you're staying on track and at the end of the day it's only a thousand words and like 90,000 words over the course of six months to a year you really have to be so diligent about your time and and how you're using it so let's start with it. Let's talk a little bit about how that process works then. So you, you come up with a concept, an idea. What do you go with to your publisher with? Well, before I had an agent and I was trying to find my agent, I came, you come up with the idea for your book, exactly as you said. And then I try to figure out if it has what I call legs, which is, does this have enough to it that I think that I can write out this 80,000 word story about it? Does it have enough dips and valleys and that it gives me um, a lot of like a lot of space to, to play with the idea? If I think it does, then I will work on something um, called a synopsis, which is a bigger outline for the story. And that's where if you don't have an idea that if it has a lot of holes, this is when you will find out. And some people want to just go forward at that point and write the book anyway, like without doing any pre-work. That works for lots of people. That's not how I do it. So have um, you done synopsises before and then went, eh? No. Oh, so many. I have a folder on my computer that is full of dead synopses that maybe one day I'll go back and, and you know, breathe some life into them. But for the most part, no, like an idea isn't always a good idea for a book. So people who are like, I have this amazing one idea. Right. And it might be the idea, um, but a lot of times it just isn't. But it might lead you to then coming up with, ah, this is the idea that I need to work with. So, you know, once you have your idea and you feel really excited about it, um, it's always good to check around and see if anyone else feels excited about it. I think people worry a lot that someone will steal your idea. And this is just not really a thing that, that happens. So, And do you have like a specific group of gut check people that you check in when, when you have it? Like I'm yeah. assuming your husband. Uh, no, you he's know. not even, he's <laughs> funny enough. Like I do check in with him because he's really good at pointing out like all the holes I have in the story, which is mm -hmm. infuriating, but incredibly useful. Right. So I do check in with him at that point, but I have a, a number of other author friends and we do this for one another. And before I had that group, when I was just starting out, um, I found people on Twitter actually who were in the writing community, who were pitching. There's a lot of contests on Twitter where you can pitch your story and pitch your book idea. So I found people that way and created a community online. Um, I have my 5 a.m. Writers Club group online. I was just going to say, I, I, I do see you <laughs> using um, a specific hashtag. Yes. Uh, is it am writing? It's 5 a.m. Mm -hmm. um, Writers Club. So okay. five, the number, yep. and then a.m. Writers Club. And it's a whole group of other crazy writers like me who are up at 5 o'clock or earlier writing. And there's a lot of just early check-ins, you know, hey, we're here, good luck with your book. And then everyone goes off and does their work. And that's so, because you need that space, that time in the day that's quiet, dedicated, right? Yeah, well, I found that, I mean, I've written all my books really at 5 a.m. Um, partly it was because my daughter never slept. And so she used to get up at 4 or so. And I eventually got to a place where I needed to do something with that time. 
um, because otherwise I was just watching like Dora the Explorer or we were doing crafts and that's fun. But after years, you know, you need to get a little more productive maybe. So it just happened. And then I found out that that was the best time for my brain to really work creatively. So I just stuck with it like six years or seven years now. I don't know. It's been a long time. I go to bed really early, but. Okay. So you have, so I've derailed you a bit. So you have your synopsis, you go to your publisher and you submit it and they come back and they say, we'd love it. Yes. Well, I mean, this is, this is if you have an agent. So if you have an agent, um, they are your gateway person to your publishing house. So your agent will take your idea and your book. You've basically had to sell your agent. They say, yes, we want to sign you. We love this book idea. Great. Then they do their own process for submission. They send it to the publishing houses and you wait. And it's a, it's a horrible time as an author because you're so out of the process and you're just waiting to hear. And then the publishers decide if they want to buy your book. And the way that they decide that is they have these acquisition meetings, which are full of people from the whole publishing house, like people from marketing, sales, um, the editorial group. And they all sit down, they look at P&L statements for your book, how they think it will do in the market. And then they decide, yes, we are going to offer or no, we won't. Um, If you get a yes, then you start working with that editor. And the next time, you go to pitch a book, it's so much different because you already have a relationship, right? But it's that first relationship that can be tricky. Right. So, the, so they come back and they say to you, here is your, uh, we, we love it. We're, we, we, we want to publish it. Yeah. How is that deadline established? The publishing deadline? Mm-hmm. You mean? Um, it's established in-house for them. So they generally... A book that you see on the shelf has been in the works for anywhere from a year and a half to two years, generally. So, you know, Recipe for Perfect Wife, which is my most recent one, came out in December, like December 31st. I mean, it was two years before that I I sold it to the publishing house. So you have this really long timeline because it's so complex what has to happen once a publishing house buys your book. There is the editorial which is you and you and your editor going back and forth um, where you touch basically every word a hundred times and you do various iterations of the story until you get, get it right. And then it goes through marketing, cover design, um, public relations. Like they try to figure out how they're going to get publicity for your book. Sales goes out, tries to sell it to like the targets and the bookstores. So it takes, you know, a really long time. Um, the deadline is, as I said, set in house. So once you're in with a, with an editor, your deadlines, you have your own deadlines so that you can be on track with what they need, but really that's a little out of your hands. You can't miss them. Like if you miss your deadlines, it's bad. You get moved to a different publishing schedule. Um, so you could go from like summer to winter and it can mess with publicity. So, yeah. So once you have your deadline, I imagine then it becomes really um, a question of discipline to make sure that you're going to hit that deadline. So how do you, or, okay. So I guess, I guess the the bigger question is being disciplined. Was that something you always had or was that something you had to develop? It's probably a little of both. I think that journalism school, I finished journalism school when I was 30. I was probably already disciplined. I had been working. So I, 
you know, once you start work, you understand that you're, you have a responsibility to show up on time and do what you say and or they don't pay you, right? Um, but the deadlines in journalism school for sure really terrified me about missing deadlines. And so I think that I did learn through mostly my magazine work at the beginning about like, because you, your deadlines are often so tight in that world, which you know, um, you can't miss them and you just get it done, whatever's required. So I am happy to say I've like never missed a deadline. I don't think even writing all my books, um, but I just approach it that way. Like I, I do a daily word count. I know how many words I have to write every day to make like a first draft deadline. I know how many chapters a day I have to edit to be sure that I'm on track to hand in my book when I need to hand it in. And I just do it. I mean, I don't. Yeah. Get so I, I, but I, so I think, you know, that absolutely there's, you, you have to have that discipline, but do you, do you sit down at the computer someday? You're going to, you're going to do that word count. It's in your head. I'm going to do sit down. I'm going to do this word count today. I'm going to hit it, but the words are just not coming and you just feel stuck. Sometimes. Uh, but I don't believe in, in writer's block. I mean, I just, I think it is, I personally think that it is an excuse. <laughs> I think that sometimes you are in a place where whatever you're working on for that day is maybe not working because you have, you're trying to push it in a certain direction doesn't want to go. And I often joke about my characters, you know, they tell you what they want, especially when you're in your edits and you, if you're listening and you're trying to make them do something and you can't get it to work, it's because they do not want to do that. So you have to start listening to your characters and do what they want. They want to have happen in the story. Um, but I am the person who just forces myself to write. So even when I'm not feeling it, I might, shut down and go for a walk or, you know, shift to a different piece of writing if I can. But I, I don't, I just force myself to put something down. Um, and I can always go back and fix it later. But the problem is if you don't do that, you end up with like, okay, four days, you're not really feeling it and it's not working and you're still stuck on the same piece that you were working on and you can't get past it. That turns into a week, that turns into two weeks. And that is how you miss a deadline. And this really actually almost, you know, translates to life in general. You yeah. Know, if you're not, if you're not moving forward a day, then it becomes two days and three days and then you didn't work out or then you didn't yeah. do this thing you were supposed to do. So it really translates the same way to, to your writing, to any craft, I suspect. I suspect it does. And I, I do think that this is the difference. You'll see authors or writers who are new to what they're doing. This is not true of everyone, of course. And then authors who have been in this for a while and have a number of books out. The authors I know who have been doing this for a while, they force themselves to write, even if they're not feeling it. They don't buy into writer's block. They have their tricks to get themselves out of a funk if they are feeling that around a book. You know, maybe reaching out to someone and saying, hey, can you read this for me? It's not working. Like, what else can I do? Um, all kinds of craft books you can read about how to rethink a character or a scene so that you push yourself into a different place to write. But no one I know who is in that stage of the writing game stops. They don't wait a day and then another day and then another day. So I do feel like there is a, it's like anything getting, you know, just becoming skilled or becoming trained at doing a job. Um, Cause it really is a job when it's all said and done. There is this magical part of writing 
and I, it's true. I feel it when I'm, when I'm in it too, but a lot of it is also like any other job. You just have, have to get the work done. Okay. So you just leading up to this interview, you just, um, uh, hit a deadline last Friday for, yes. for your latest book, which is, it is nonfiction actually. It's called the 4% fix, how one hour can change your life. And it's coming out with HarperCollins in December. And it really is, I mean, it is about my 5 a.m. writing habit and how I have used that to write all the books that I have done. But on, in a bigger way, it's about rescuing your time, um, making sure that you're finding the time for yourself to do something you've always wanted to do but never thought that you would be able to because you just didn't have the time. So it is a, a much bigger conversation about our busyness, how we spend our time, uh, where we put our priorities based on that. And then also my suggestion is, hey, the like first thing in the morning is a great time to recapture some of that time that you want back so that you can actually accomplish something you've always wished that you could. So it was a different project for me because it's nonfiction. And I will say my love is fiction. Um, I, that is being able to build a world and build the characters. This was a lot about like my own life and then also looking for other people's stories. And so, you know, it took me back to my journalism roots for sure. Um, so that was fun, but it was just, it was just a different project. And so there were times where my tricks about how I forced myself to write didn't always work. So <laughs> I learned some things with this one. Yeah. So what, so what, you know, name a, name a trick or, or something you do. Um, you know, that you've learned over the years that sort of propels you forward? One of the things that I do um, is when I'm working on something, I never end a scene. And so there's something very satisfying about closing out a scene and you feel great that you've wrapped it up and it's like, okay, so the next chapter. But I find that when you do that, when you come back to the work, it's very hard to get back in the rhythm of the story because you're almost starting from scratch again at that new chapter or at that new scene. So I tend to end like right in the middle of that, you know, feeling of momentum, like I'll close out before the scene is complete because I have enough that I know where I want to go, but it allows me in the morning to wake up, to look at where I left off and to just capture that momentum. And then once you are, have that forward momentum, it's so much easier to keep going. So that's my one trick. Um, I also sometimes will look at a scene if it's not working or a piece of writing and I think, okay, what is like the absolute opposite thing that I could have this character do right now? So if they're, if I have them reacting this way, what if I have them react in the complete opposite way? How does that scene play out? And I do, I play that game sometimes, um, even when things are going okay, just because you can get, you have this idea of how you want the book to go, but sometimes if you're more creative about it, you can flip it and it becomes an even better scene. So those are right. two things I do often. So I think, you know, I, I mean, myself, and I, I'm, not, I'm not a writer, so I, but, you know, I'm always thinking in terms of content. You are a writer. Well, I mean, I write, but I, 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 I don't, writing does not come naturally to me. Mm -hmm. um, I enjoy writing and I enjoy writing occasionally, you know, a piece that resonates with people. But I, it's not, it doesn't come naturally. So for me to get out 500, 600, 700 words, that's like a lot for me because yeah. I really, I struggle with every word. I overthink it. Yeah. But I, do, I am a content producer in, you know, all areas, social media and video and so on. I'm always thinking, 
in my head, you know, uh, how to put something, where to put something. So like, it's just, it, it's an inner dialogue that never stops. So yes. is that the same for you? Yes, but I have learned to shut it down. So I don't edit my work when I'm writing. And that's probably another, like a, a big tip that I would give. I write a first draft without going back. It, it, you want to go back and redo your opening scene and your opening chapter over and over, just the same as you would in a piece that you're writing. You want to get that first paragraph perfect, but it's not the time. And so I do not self-edit as I write. I just write, knowing that I have a chance to go back and fix it later. Um, but it can be hard to stop your brain from doing that, from analyzing every word and thinking about how it's going to land and could you you know, do a better job. I always find with my writing, if I have started to use the thesaurus, like every other word, that the book is done or the writing is done because sometimes you're changing it. You're not making it better. You're just making it different. And that is a, something that you have to learn about your own writing, that if you're in that place where you're obsessing about it and you're really just making it different but not better, it's time to stop or move on or, you know, go into something else for a while. But yeah, you can slow yourself down to the point of not getting anything written um, by analyzing so much. So it's hard, but you do have to train yourself to stop. So you should do that. You should stop analyzing. Yeah. No, <laughs> I, time, listen, right? I'm absorbing every word you're saying right now. Cause I'm thinking I never do that. You know, when I'm writing something, I'll go, Oh, I don't. And then, you know, I, I agonize over something. So, uh, that's, that's I, an excellent point is to just go through it and then go back. Um, yeah, yeah. Let me just say one more thing about that, Kim, because Anne Lamott, I don't know if you've read anything. She wrote Bird by Bird. She's an author, writer. She, Bird by Bird is a great book about writing and one that I recommend all the time. But she used to be a magazine writer. And one of the things she said was that she would have these panic moments where she would be in first draft stage with a piece and she would like panic that she would get hit by a car and everyone would see her messy first draft. And it was just a constant source of stress for her. And that resonated so much with me because if people read my first drafts, I'd be horrified for people to read my first drafts. So, you know, whenever I'm reading a book, I always think, I wonder what this person's first draft looked like, because what you're reading is so far from that. So when you're criticizing your own work, um, you know, you're trying to, you're treating yourself like you're, you've written the 10th draft, when really this is like the first exploration into what you're trying to talk about. So yeah, and nobody really knows what you've, no. what you, I, so it's really just you're beating yourself up, right, uh, yes. at that moment, and for no reason. For so no reason. You're, so you've, you've reached your deadline for your latest book, so yes. do you now, you know, you've reached that milestone, do you now rest and sort of take a little bit of time, and, or do you just immediately leap into the next? I always have more than one book on the go at a time, so... Okay. I, um, there are times where I get a full rest for a period of time and sometimes you need it. I just, there have been times where I've had to just not really write much of anything for like a month or two because I'm just burned out. But generally I have more than one thing on the go. So I, you know, took the weekend off sort of, and then I was puttering today, this morning on another, another project that I have. So I find that, you know, it is like a muscle and you, if you leave it too long, you, you, it's almost like getting back into your workout where everything hurts again and you can't remember how to do the movements. And so for me, I find it easier 
you know, I'm not, last week was terrible and I was in this seat for, you know, 16 hours trying to do it. So it's not, um, it's not like that now. So I'm, more and you, I'm using sort of that analogy of working out. Um, I suspect that it's a little like cross training too, you know, when you go between one story and switch it up to a different story yeah. or a different way of saying things on, you know, on a different angle that, you know, sort of maybe changes and refreshes things so it doesn't get stale for you. Yeah, that's exactly it. And I think that's why, you know, when I say if you're feeling stuck, don't just sit there and stare at your blinking cursor on your blank page. Like just start writing something else or shift to a different project maybe you've been thinking about. Or force yourself to just do some like free association writing about whatever, like whatever it is that you're thinking about. It doesn't have to be good. You know, you just have to get back into the rhythm. So it is good to switch between things. It is, it does keep it feeling more fresh and more creative for sure. So, I mean, everything right now is sort of viewed through this lens of this pandemic. So uh, let's just touch on that just a little bit. How is that? You know, you, you, I, I imagine as far as your work life, you work from home, if that's changed nothing, but has it changed other aspects of, of how you're working? Yeah, well, it's actually changed everything about how I'm working because even though I think that I was made for quarantine and pandemics, because I really am an introvert actually, and I'm already set up to work from home, I already know what it's like to work in chaos because I write everywhere all the time um, but everyone's home with me now so I don't have that space to just you know I can write in the office and shut the door um, but I have a, an 11 year old who also is needing to be homeschooled and you know I have an only child so she doesn't even have a sibling to go and I don't know do kids stuff with so right. There is, that has really shifted thing. My, my husband's home, working from home, you know, it's, um, I'm used to this being my space. I can move around my house and write wherever I need to. So it took me like probably the first three weeks before I could write anything. I was so, I couldn't even read. I was just really kind of lost in. Well, the, I think also, you know, to be fair, we were all, we're, we're all under this sort of stress as well. It's not yeah. just a, adapting to our environment, but it's the stress of what next. Yeah. And even just like, I have to go grocery shopping tomorrow morning. And I was like, uh, like, it's just all the, you know, it's such a different experience to do all these things now. So, and we don't know when it will end. So, you know, I've kind of come to the place where I just assume that this is our new normal for, for the foreseeable future, my kid is probably not going back to school. Um, you know, we're just going to keep operating this way and we're getting better at it. I think everyone's figuring it out to some yeah, degree. I, I would have to agree with you. You know, at, the, at this yeah. point, you know, this week has actually started to feel a little easier Yeah. Uh, as we find a rhythm and we adapt to our new normal. It's like everything, the more you do it, the better you get at it. Uh, exactly. So this is sort of how, where we're at at this point. And it may be in, you know, four more weeks, it's going to feel weird adjusting to it might and maybe we'll just be so good at it this is what we'll keep doing but yeah. you know, I think the whole like this pandemic productivity thing that like I remember a few days into it and there were author friends of mine who were starting podcasts and who were reading from their books and who were doing all these initiatives and they were like I'm gonna do nothing but write for this quarantine and I thought oh I can't do any of that so you know That's, I was thinking, who are these people I can't there, are just, there are different you know everyone <laughs> handles it differently right I, I maintain that they're all gonna burn out 
in the next couple of weeks, and then we are going to start to just thrive. You well, know? maybe, yeah, we were more of on a marathon, and they were on a sprint, so maybe that's, right. maybe that's, that's right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so if anybody's listening, and they want, they're like, okay, I'm ready to get into writing, and so what, what would you recommend, um, so name three books that you would recommend to hone your craft. Okay, so Stephen King's On Writing, 100%. Uh, that's like the number one. I would say Anne Lamott's Bird by Bird is another great one. And I'm trying to think of a third one that is on the craft of writing. So you caught me and now I don't know. <laughs> I would maybe even say, I mean, I do not read a ton of self-help or wellness books. I was raised by hippie parents and I have a bit of a reaction to some of the you know what I mean, that particular brand of inspiration. Sometimes I get a little like, but I will say You Are Badass by Jen Sincero. Do you know okay. that? Yeah, which is old. Like it's been out for a few years now. That book was so, I just thought it was such a great book to give you that, you know what, go for it. Like the things that you want to do, just go for it and trust yourself and trust that you can do this. And if you fail, who cares? Try again. So, right. you know, the first two are really craft books, but that one for me, surprisingly, just made me feel like, you know what, I can go out there and do anything that I want to do. So I found that really inspiring. To just and if, if people follow you on Twitter, yeah. And I'm sorry, your Twitter handle again, remind me again, at, is it at Karma Brown? It's at Karma K Brown. Okay. So if people want, because I think people think, oh, you know, you're, you're a best-selling author. I couldn't possibly talk to her. And I feel that that's not the, tr that's not the truth at all. You're, you're oh. very approachable. Yes, I hope so. Please, like right. anyone, I always say send me an email, send me a note on Twitter. I'm on Instagram all the time too. So same handle. Uh, send me a note over there. Like I really, I got a lot of help when I was starting out and I am a big believer in authors helping other authors and writers helping writers. And I will what, do whatever I can to give people some insight into whether it be trying to find an agent or how to start a novel or, you know, whatever it is, like I'm happy, always happy to help. Okay. So, uh, so that hashtag then is the 5am writing club. Writers Club. Writers Club. Okay, yeah. super. Okay, yeah. thank you so much for joining me today, Karma. This was great. Thank you so much. Hi, I'm Steve Yurko. And I'm Tara Sands. Now available from Maji Media is our new podcast, Four Kids Flashback. Four Kids is the company who brought you the English dub of Pokemon in the late 90s and so many other shows like Yu-Gi-Oh!, Shaman King, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Kirby, the infamous One Piece dub, and so many more. We'll be talking to the people who worked at Four Kids. Actors, directors, writers, editors, producers, engineers, you get the point. And hopefully get the answers to questions both you and I have about the company. I actually worked there as a voice actor on some of the shows. And I was a kid watching the shows and remember way more than Tara does. And thank God for that. Steve is actually a professional storyboard artist, which gives some really unique insights into anime and animation. Subscribe today wherever you get your podcasts. That's the number four kids flashback. It is your favorite girl. That's right, it's the Ali Mars, the one and the only. Everyone else just ain't me. 
I am the host of Welcome to Mars, a lifestyle podcast where nothing is off the table. I have come a long way from sex and dating and have transformed the new vibe to all things lifestyle. We still talk sex, but I'm more interested in the journey, where people have come from, how they made it, and where they're going. Subscribe or follow to a brand new look and a brand new era. Welcome to Mars. Subscribe or follow on Apple, Spotify, Google, or at theallymars.com. Because even with the new look, I'm still that same bitch you love to hate. Another Sound Off Media Company podcast.